Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, today we're going to continue our series together entitled Waymaker, and I want to talk to you this weekend and next weekend about the title, Harassed by Hell's Forces. Harassed by Hell's Forces. Just a little bit of a a frame of reference before I get into today's message. As I was looking over my notes this week and reflecting on what I would share with you, um, I realized that actually I had far too much content uh, for one week's message, and so I decided to actually split my message right in half, and so I had four points outlined for today's message, so you're only only going to get two of them today. If you're a three-point person, you're only going to get two today, okay? Uh, But you get two points today, two next weekend, because I think it's such an important topic that we take the time to really reflect on this idea of being harassed by the forces of hell. What does this mean in our lives? How do we fight the good fight of faith, how do we engage properly in spiritual warfare? Let me start by reminding you of something Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He did not say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, as the world would like to proclaim it. But Jesus said, no, I am the, it's a definite article. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Way, truth, and life. We often talk about Jesus being the truth and how he sets us free by truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We talk about life in Jesus because that's how we have eternal life. If you want to go to heaven, there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus. It's not by your works. It's not by what you will do that will get you there. It's by putting your faith in Christ. He is the way. He is the way to heaven. And we know the way to heaven identified as the way maker. He makes a way for us to have eternal life, the way, the truth, and the life. But I'm going to talk more today as we've been talking over these last several weeks about a variety of dimensions of the way making ministry of Jesus. And one of those places or aspects of our life where he makes a way for us is in the area of spiritual battle and dealing with temptation in our life, dealing with the attacks of the evil one against us. I'm going to share with you, as I said, two things today that will kind of lay more of a foundation for what I'm going to talk about next weekend. So I really want to encourage you to be back next weekend because if you only get today's message, you're going to miss some things that will be vital to understanding the whole topic that we'll be looking at together. But I do want to lay that foundation today. Here's the first thing I want to talk about for a few moments today. The first point is this. Satan is a harasser. The acceptance of this truth that Satan is a harasser is a very important truth for us. It's vital. I want to remind us today that the devil is real. Satan is real. Evil is real. Demonic forces are real. When we look at the world around us, oftentimes we will say, well, that was evil. And and many things that human beings do to one another and do in their own individual lives, we could identify as being evil. But there's an evil that goes beyond evil, and that evil is the force of darkness. In fact, we see many things in our world today that you can't explain just by human evil. It has to be demonically inspired evil. There's evil in our world today, and the devil is behind it, and you and I need not doubt it. 
It's one of the forces that you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis. The Bible very clearly describes for us these unseen demonic forces that we contend with. I'm going to take you through a variety of scriptures for a few moments today to kind of walk you through the Bible a little bit. We will not cover it exhaustively, but at some level today, what the Bible says about Satan and his intention in your life. It all starts in Genesis chapter 3, where God had put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, I'm going to give you two trees, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then we see in chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent showing up. The serpent is an expression of a personality. The voice of the serpent is Satan himself. Lucifer, who's been cast down from heaven. And of course, out of that temptation, Adam and Eve partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin enters into their life. Sin and and death enter into our world for which Jesus came to redeem us. That is the beginning point of seeing the activity of Satan in our world. You get three chapters into the Bible and the devil shows up. Three chapters into the Bible and there's the serpent immediately. But this is not the only place he shows up. We see it in so many different places. Let's go to David's life for a moment in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. David is king of Israel, and the Bible says that David decided to take a census of Israel, something that God told him not to do, not to count all the soldiers, because God did not want David trusting in the number of soldiers. God wanted David trusting in him. But please notice what happened. The Bible says that Satan rose up against Israel, and please note this word. I'm going to circle some words as we go through these verses. What is that word there? He incited. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. The word incite literally means to draw away, to mislead. And so in some measure, in some way, Satan showed up in David's world, in David's reasoning, in his process of making decisions, and influenced him, drew him away to do something that was opposite of what God wanted him to do. He enticed him. He incited him into something. Jesus himself faced battles with the evil one. In fact, we see after his baptism, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be. What's the next word there? That's the word to circle here in in this particular verse. To be tempted by the devil. That Greek word, and by the way, I'm going to refer today to a variety of Greek words. It's not that I'm trying to I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have some awareness of some of the understanding of these Greek words, and the reason I'm bringing them to your attention is because the original language of the New Testament is Greek, and so sometimes we, it helps us to understand what the Greek word was there, to, because sometimes we might translate it differently in our English versions of the Bible, but this word tempted also means to be tested. So Jesus was tested. The devil was putting him to a test there in the wilderness. And then we see in John chapter 13... It's the night that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. Jesus is breaking bread with them and talking about, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And the Bible says, as soon as Judas took the bread, what happened? Satan, there's the key word there, Satan entered him. The word entered literally means to move into a space. Now, this didn't happen overnight. Judas was giving the enemy access over a period of time by his covetousness and a variety of things in his own inner being. But this became the moment where he's now made a decision that he's going to betray Christ and he's now taken over by the adversary. The enemy moves in to his soul, into his inner being. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil, again, this force, this personality of evil and the hordes of darkness, the demonic forces, do not give the devil a... There's the key word I want to point out in this particular passage. Don't give the enemy a foothold. The original Greek word here for foothold is this word, topos. It's where we get our English word topography from. It means territory. Don't give any topography in your heart, any territory in your life to the enemy by holding on to anger. We'll come to back, back to that in just a few moments. Just a couple of chapters over, chapter, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. He's talking now about demonic entities, the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want to highlight that word, evil. This word evil is a word that speaks of that which is totally and completely wicked. That is what maliciously wicked. It is the opposite of everything that is good. And so if it's the opposite of everything that is good, it is the opposite of everything that relates to the nature and the character of God. Because God is good and the enemy is completely maliciously evil. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will do what? He will flee from you. There are a couple of words that I could talk about here. I'm just going to point this one out primarily. This word, interestingly enough, in the Greek language is, the word, is where we get our word antihistamine from. Resist the devil. And I want to talk about this word primarily, the devil. Resist the devil. The word is diabolos in the Greek language. And it's a word that identifies a personality that is a false accuser or a slanderer a false accuser or a slanderer. And so anytime you see the devil, the word is diabolos. It's where we get our word diabolical from in our English language. It means those who are falsely accusing or slandering others. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, diabolos, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to... Here's that key word for today in this passage, devour. That word devour literally means to drown or to swallow up. The best way I can describe that is if you've ever been in a swimming pool playing around, one of your friends uh, tries to duck you under the water and dunk you under and keep you under and you're struggling to get back up and get breath again. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put you under the weight of sin and guilt and all kind of terrible things and drown out your life. He wants to destroy you. We'll come back to that in a moment. Revelation chapter 20. There are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. We're now toward the end of the book in chapter 20 when the final judgments are happening and all of, the, all of humanity and history is coming to this ultimate moment of the day of the Lord when God is establishing judgment and eternity and there'll be ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Aren't you glad? that passage is in the Bible. That's the end result of what's going to happen to the serpent, what's going to happen to the devil. That's what's going to happen to Satan. That is his ultimate judgment. However, that hasn't happened yet. That will happen one day, and it's promised to us that Jesus will come back again, and he will establish the moment when Satan is cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. But we're living in the day and age when we have to contend with him. 
We have a very real spiritual enemy, and we're confronted with his harassment every day of our lives at some level in some form. And Satan's goal is to turn us away from our creator. Satan's goal is to somehow be the exact opposite of God. He's the arch enemy of God and to turn us away from the one who sent his only begotten son into our world with such great, amazing love for each one of us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, that's the devil, Satan, comes only to, notice this, steal and kill and destroy. That's his agenda when he shows up in your life to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full one translation says, have life abundantly. Now, you'll notice that I've chosen the word harassment to describe the activity of Satan. And I chose that word purposefully because I took the time to look that word up to make sure that I understood it before I used it. And I want you to understand why I've used the word that Satan is a harasser. I'm going to give you the dictionary definition of harassment now if you want to write it down uh, or you can look it up in your own dictionary if you'd like to. This is kind of a compilation of various dictionaries for us here today, but here's what harassing means. He is a harasser. It means this, to vex by repeated attacks, to tire out, to provoke, to create weariness that comes from the repetition of trying experiences so that there's no time to rest. This is a power-packed definition. Would it be okay if I read it again? Yes. To harass means to vex. To vex means it just tears you up, just coming after you. To vex by repeated attacks. It's just miserable to go through. And the result is it tires you out. It provokes you in some way. And it provokes you to weariness that comes from these repeated experiences, these vexing things that come your way so that you can never feel like you can let your guard down. You never can actually rest or relax. And the Bible is very clear that you and I need to understand the strategy of the enemy to harass us. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. We need to know how he operates. And so what I want to do in these next few moments under this point is I'm going to give you four ways that the enemy harasses people how he harasses harasses you and me. The first way that he will harass you, wear you out, and try to defeat your life is through lies. He is a liar. Satan never tells the truth, and he wants to show up in our world in various shapes and sizes and forms and experiences to convince us of things that aren't true. He will lie to you about God. He will lie to you about yourself. He will lie to you about other people. He will lie to you about circumstances. He will tell you the exact opposite of what the scriptures say. He will lie to you. And that's, in fact, what occurred in the very first fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Satan twisted the truth. He deceived Adam and Eve. He's a deceiver. And deception means there's a lie somewhere in there. And so anytime that the enemy shows up in your life, you can believe that he's trying to twist the truth in some manner and lie to you in some way because he wants you to believe a lie rather than believing the truth because God is truth and truth is what sets us free. And so he is a liar. You cannot believe anything that he says. The second way that he harasses us is through intense temptation. Now, I could have just said temptation, and that would be adequate enough. He certainly harasses us with temptation. But I wanted to add a word of, uh, uh, that maybe helped describe 
levels of temptation. Because we all have temptations that come our way at times, and you sort of slough them off. They're not really, they don't, they don't really, really get to you in some way. But there are those moments when there's a, an intense kind of temptation. It might be just for a brief moment, or it might be for a season in your life. But you're feeling that, 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 that draw to do something you know isn't right. And there's a pressure on you to do something contrary to God's will, contrary to God's word. It's in a season of time. And so there's an intensity to it. You can sense it that you're going through a battle in your life. You don't need to raise your hand on this, but have you gone through some times in your life when you knew the devil was after you in that moment? You could feel it. The intensity of that temptation was there, and it comes in different forms. And then the third way that he harasses us is by, by people who are influenced by evil forces. Let me quickly add this. Our battle is never with people, but the devil will use people to get after you. Let me say it again. Our battle isn't with people, but the devil will use people to get after you. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've known over the years who've been led astray because they got caught up with the wrong group of people. Okay. They were caught with people who were going Satan's direction, and Satan used that to reel them in and draw them in, and that's why you and I need to choose our friends very carefully. Why? Because show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Okay. Your friends are always determining where you end up in life, and that's why it's so vital that we're aware of the people, especially who have closest influence in our lives, because there can be evil forces that are there. The next one I'm going to mention to you here, this is the fourth one and final one I'll talk about today, and that's this. I'm going to ask you to read this one with me, because I really want to kind of press into this one just a little bit more here. So would you read together loud and loudly? Long-term attacks and pressures designed to produce weariness, discouragement, and resignation. It may not necessarily be that you're being enticed to do something evil, but it's just an attack on you, oppression, heaviness that comes over your life. You, you don't understand. It just kind of showed up in your life, and this, the spirit of heaviness is there. There's a sense of oppression that you're battling with that you can't necessarily identify or fully understand, but it just feels dark in your life, and there's this long-term attack. Pastor, what is a long-term attack? Anything past a minute feels long-term to me. How about you, okay? A long-term attack. It might be for a day, it might be for a week, but there's just wearing away, this, this continual heaviness and wearing away, and you find yourself really discouraged and wanting to resign. By resignation, I mean basically this, you're, you're about ready to give up or throw in the towel in some aspect of your life. Maybe it's giving up on your marriage or giving up on ever getting out of debt or giving up on whatever the case might be that you're working toward in your life, and you're just being harassed. I'm never going to get there. You're weary and discouraged, and you say, I'm just, I'm just going to give up. Let's resign myself to being like this forever. It's quite interesting in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is an amazing book. It's, uh, uh, we really need to do a study on the book of Daniel again. I, I did one a while back, a good many years ago, but I think it's a valuable book for us to study just in terms of the character of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, but also some of the prophecies that Daniel gave. And Daniel has an interesting part of his book where he's prophesying about end times, what's going to happen in the last days. And he begins to describe in chapter 7 of, of Daniel how there will arise certain things in the last days. And he specifically talks in verse 25 about the arising of a particular evil personality and evil influence in the last days. And I want you to notice what Daniel saw and said about 
the spiritual attacks upon believers in the last days. Daniel 7, verse 25. Daniel says, he, that this demonic entity, this evil force, will speak words against the Most High God, and notice what it says, will do what? Wear down the saints of the Most High. Have you ever felt the enemy in your life just trying to wear you down? Just trying to wear you down and wear you out and just to get you so tired that you're ready to say, I'm just discouraged, I'm going to give up. That's the work of the adversary. This is what he comes to do in our lives. He is a harasser in our lives. The second thing I want to talk about today, and again, we're only going to look at two points, so here's the the final point for today. We're going to break apart for a few moments. Is that Satan, in his harassment, targets what? What does he target in our lives? He targets our vulnerabilities, okay? Everybody has vulnerabilities in your life. You have weaknesses, weaknesses in your personality. We all have weaknesses in our character. We have weaknesses in our thinking. We have weaknesses in in our relationships. There There are vulnerable points in all of our lives, unguarded places, things we don't even know about or recognize, just places where we're vulnerable to attack. And some of these vulnerabilities are more noticeable to us and to other people than than, than other parts are, but everybody has vulnerabilities in their life. It's extremely important to understand that we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to the attack of the evil one. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in the first 11 verses, he lays out what kept a group of the Israelites out of the promised land. He describes some of the sins they committed, lust and sexual immorality, and actually he gets more specific about some attitudinal things in their lives in terms of complaining and grumbling and griping, and it kept them out of the promised land. He describes all of this, and then he gets to the next verse after the first 11 verses. He gets to verse 12, and look at what he says. He says, so, and by the way, the Translation of this is also therefore. Therefore, or so, if you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. He says, I've given you these 11 verses describing all these things that caused a group of people to fall. Lust, sexual immorality, and grumbling, and and complaining, and he's listed all these things. Go back and read the first 11 verses for yourself. You'll see the litany of all these things that have occurred there. And he says, therefore, or so, based upon what I just told you about, therefore, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's the key to your Bible story. Every time you see a therefore in your Bible, ask yourself the question, what is it there for? It always points you back to what's been said beforehand. So Paul's saying, I told you about all these people who missed the promised land because of things going on in their life. Therefore, or as the New New International Version translates it, so if you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. Would you agree this makes it very personal, does it not? It takes it out of the realm of something that happened historically many, many years ago and says, well, what about you and what about me? So all of us have vulnerabilities in our life. I'm going to talk about some things in our life that make us vulnerable to the harassment of Satan. And I'm going to give you eight of these. This is not an extensive list, an exhaustive list, but I believe it has a lot of key points for us to think about. Because if we're going to overcome the enemy, we need to know where we're vulnerable. Amen? 
Amen? If you don't know where you're vulnerable, then you're going you're to get taken advantage of at some point in time if you don't know how to guard your vulnerabilities. So let me walk you through these eight vulnerabilities in life. The first one is the vulnerability of unresolved inner pain. Anytime you have hurt, pain, disappointment, emotionally in your heart, your life, that you haven't dealt with, that becomes a, a, a potential trap of the enemy, a way to get at you. The devil can get at you through your pain. There are a lot of people who are living their life caught up in their pain. And we all have pain, do we not? If you think you're the only one that's ever been hurt, let me help you wake up today. Everybody's been hurt, okay? We all have been hurt to various degrees, and if we're not careful, we can hold on to those hurts, and we can, we can put them in a little part of our life, and we can pet them. I've got my pet hurt. Oh, don't touch that. That's my pet hurt, okay? That's my special hurt, okay? I'm not going to let anybody get to that hurt because it gives me certain privileges in life. I can play that card sometimes, right? Because I'm hurt. Bless his heart. That's my hurt. Out of here. And what we don't realize is that little hurt is a string that the enemy can grab hold and pull and play around with us in certain ways. Have you ever noticed that you do dumb things when you're hurt? You say things you would not say otherwise when you're hurt? Why? Because it's a string. It's a vulnerability. And so that's why Jesus wants to heal the brokenhearted. Amen? That's why Jesus wants to get inside of you wherever you're hurt and help you to overcome it or lead you down a pathway. That's why we have a class here at our church called Steps to Freedom. And that that class actually helps folks identify places in their life where they haven't dealt with hurts and pains of the past to get past that so that they're not vulnerable or as vulnerable in that area. Here's the second vulnerability, unmet needs in our life. Everybody has needs. Needs are are, are important. We all have physical needs. We have emotional needs, psychological needs. We have, uh, we have relationship needs. Everybody has a need. And there's nothing wrong with having a need, but here's what the devil does. The devil comes along. He says, oh, you've got that need. Here's a way that you can meet the need. And he always loves to suggest an illegitimate way to satisfy a legitimate need. You've got a legitimate need in your life, but he comes along and says, hey, by the way, here's the way you could take care. You need love? Well, here's how you could get it. Oh, you need this? Oh, this is how you could get it. Do you you see that this is how the enemy works? Jesus dealt with this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that he had gone into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. He was there for 40 days, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was hungry. And what was the first temptation that Satan came and brought to him? He said, oh, you're hungry, are you? Oh, you're hungry, are you? Well, guess what? Look, there's some stones right there that you can turn into bread. Just do what I'm suggesting that you do. Listen to my will rather than the Father's will. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He would not satisfy a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So be careful with your needs because your needs can lead you at times to listening to the suggestion of illegitimate ways to meet them. Thirdly, internalized anger, resentment, and bitterness. This often goes with the first one, your pain, 
but this can be an extension of your pain when you've gotten angry on the inside about something, you're holding on to something, you've got a grudge towards someone or about something in your life, resentment, bitterness, and you're carrying this inside. It might be tucked away in your soul somewhere, but it's there, and you're angry, and you haven't resolved the anger. You're mad about something, mad at somebody, and you haven't been willing to forgive them and let it go. And the devil plays around with that. That's exactly what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 told us a few moments ago. It says, in your anger, don't sin, neither let the sun go down while you're angry, neither give place, topos, topography, territory to the devil. And so when you hold on to resentment and bitterness inside, you're giving a place, you're giving territory. You're inviting the devil into your house, okay, into your spiritual experience, And that's why forgiveness is something that comes up time and time again. Even in the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why? See, forgiveness is never for the other person. Primarily, forgiveness is for you, okay? It's for you to be free. So there's no territory in your life where the adversary can have access. So these are vulnerability points. Can I ask you, do you have any internalized anger in your life, any resentment, any bitterness? Are you listening to the enemy suggesting some illegitimate ways to meet some legitimate needs? Are you, do you have your pet pain that you're holding on to that you're not willing to seek healing for? Here's the next one. Pride and judgmentalism. This is what caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven from the very beginning of, uh, of his, his downfall and the time that, that, that God sent him out. Pride was found in him, and he continues to operate in pride and judgmentalism. What is pride and judgmentalism? This is all about the fact that you look at other people and think you're better than they are. You may not say that, but you think it. Oh, I would never do what they do. Oh, Really? Given the same circumstances or, or unique circumstances in your life, you know that you and I are pretty much capable of anything. Every one of us is about a second away from stupid. Okay. okay. Right? We all are, okay? And so we have this attitude, I would never do that. Look at them. Look at the stupidity of their lives. And we, we begin to form this attitude, this pride that makes us think that, oh, they did it, but we would never do anything like that. And so this arrogance forms in us and judgmentalism is a part of our lives. And the devil says, got you right where I want you. We understand Jesus during his earthly ministry, one of the toughest groups of folks that he ever dealt with during his entire ministry, the harshest words you'll ever find from Jesus during his earthly ministry was to the folks who are religiously proud and religiously pharisaical, the Pharisees who are always judging other people and never thinking about their own weaknesses and their own failures and their own need for the grace and mercy of God. Number five, the fifth thing. We're vulnerable when we engage in sinful, undisciplined habits and practices. Now, let me clarify this one for you for a moment. I probably could have written this one a little, could have written this one a little bit better, but I'll clear it up for you right now. Everybody sins, right? Correct? We all sin, and we don't always necessarily mean to, but we do things that are wrong. We're, we're all, we, we mess up at times, and all of us are undisciplined at times. Are we not? Okay, right? 
I, there's times in, my, I wish, times in my life I, I need to be more disciplined and times that I, I sin, as do you. So I'm not talking about just the ongoing, just the part of being a human being and sinning and having undisciplined areas. I'm talking, here's the word I'd like to introduce here, and that's the word willful. Willfully sin. You know that something is wrong. You know that God says, don't go there, don't do that. And you willfully and stubbornly say, God, I am going to do what I want to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. It is my life. I'm the captain of my own ship. And then when you shipwreck, you're saying, God. And this is when we willfully flaunt our own stubbornness to God and we do things our way and we say, you know, and I'm gonna, I don't care what I need to be doing that's right. I, I want to do what I want to do. And that always gets us into trouble. It's rebellious and it's stubborn and it's willful. The next one, number six. Three more to go here. Extended stress, pressure, and, and fatigue. This is a vulnerability. If you live your life where you're always stressed out, always under pressure, and always fatigued, that's going to be a vulnerability of the enemy in your life. That's why God called us to rhythms, rhythms and principles of rest and restoration in your life. Okay. If you're going all the time, you, you're, not, you're not sleeping, you're not resting, if you're working all the time, if you're always stressed out by everything that you're doing, I will tell you, you and I can do some pretty dumb things when we're, when we're tired, can we not? Okay. When we're tired, the enemy's, enemy will use our tiredness, our physical fatigue, uh, to actually create a vulnerability in our lives. Number seven, this is a vulnerability, fear and mistrust in your life. When you begin to be fearful and mistrusting of God. I'm not sure I can trust God, and so it creates opportunity for fear to grow in your life, anxiety and worry and fear. And the Bible is very clear that God does not give us the spirit of fear. God does not give us the spirit of fear. I feel like I need to announce that one more time because somebody didn't hear it, okay? God does not give us the spirit of fear. He does not give us the spirit of fear. He calls us to reverence him. That's called the fear of the Lord. That's quite different than fear as we know it in terms of the thing that paralyzes us. I'm gonna do an entire message in this series on fear uh, and we'll get to more of that later. God does not give us the spirit of fear, but the devil will be glad to give it to you. The devil will be glad to pour as much fear as you're, well, as you're willing to receive in your life. He'll just pour the fear in. When you open yourself to the what if this and what if that and what about the other thing and before long, the lies of the enemy are coming into your mind and he sidetracked you and he's pulled you down a rabbit hole of fear and there you are stuck wondering what will happen with your future and you've lost your confidence and your trust in God. You're in a vulnerable place. You've been taken out of the battlefield all because of fear. Number eight, the last one I'll mention here before we're starting to wrap this all up today. This is a vulnerability for people, guilt and shame from your past failures. This is the card that the devil plays on perhaps most people. He is excellent at reminding you how you've messed up in your life. And he'll use that, he'll hang that over your head and remind you, well, do you think you're ever going to be a good Christian? Look at what you did. His goal is to define you by your failures. And please remember, God never defines you by your failures. He defines you by his grace. Amen? Okay. 
God doesn't define you by your failures. God defines you by his grace. And the grace of God redeems us and allows us to have new and wonderful opportunities and chances with God to to get back on the right track with him. But the devil will say, do you remember what you did last year? Do you remember what you did five years ago? He'll haunt us with all these skeletons in the closet of our lives. He loves to go open up the skeleton closet of your soul and rattle the bones that are in there. And just say, you remember that that was you. And hang that over your head and create condemnation and accusations against you to lock you down and keep you from being free to move forward in your spiritual life. These are vulnerabilities in our life. Everybody has vulnerabilities. They might shift from time to time, but we all have them. Look, as we're wrapping up today at Paul's words, inspired by the Spirit of God. No temptation has overcome you or overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a, what's the title of our series? Waymaker talk more about this next week, okay? He'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. So next week, we're going to talk about how do you get out? What, do you, how do you, what are the strategies to dealing with these areas of your life? So don't miss next week. But I'm going to wrap up by talking about this word, common. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. Common to mankind. I, I, didn't, I didn't know this, actually, until yesterday. I, I I've studied this passage, I don't know how many times over the years. I've preached on it a number of times over the years. I've probably memorized it when I was a kid and known it for years and years and years, this passage of Scripture. But I'd never taken the time to go back, and I just assumed that I understood what common was. And, and, and so I said, let me look at that word. What is that word? Why did Paul choose that word? No temptation is overtaking you. So what is common? What is that Greek word? And so I pulled out my, my lexicon, my study material, and looked at that word common. And it's interesting that the word for common there is the word where we get our English word anthropology from. Anthropology. If you're an academician today or you've gone, been in college courses, anthropology courses, you know that anthropology is the study of man. It's humanity, Okay. And it's quite interesting that Paul says, no temptation has taken you except what is anthropological. Okay. What is common to everybody. It's a part of the human condition. So what I want to say to you today is that when you're tempted, guess what? You just joined the human race. Everybody gets tempted. Temptation is not sin. Are you hearing me? Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you have sinned. A lot of people felt, oh my goodness, I had that thought. I was tempted to. Oh my, I must be terrible. No, everybody experiences it. No temptation has overtaken you or come into your world except what is anthropological. It is common to mankind. But it doesn't stop there and says God is faithful who will with every temptation provide you a way out so that you might bear up under it. Two things we've learned today. Well, the two things we've talked about today, you got to know your enemy. Who is he? He is a harasser. Satan is a harasser. And what is he, how does he harass us? He finds our vulnerabilities 
to harass those areas of our life so that he can move us away from God toward him, away from obedience to God to obedience to him. And I'm going to talk next weekend about how do you and I establish effective strategies so that we can overcome every attack of the evil one by the power of God's word and by the power of his spirit. Let me tell you why. Because and with this, I'm going to conclude. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I think we ought to give God some praise for that. Aren't you thankful? Greater is he. So none of what I've said today have I said to create inappropriate fear in you. This is not to make you afraid. It's to make you sober. There's a difference between being afraid and being sober. And hopefully to help us to become far more vigilant in our walk with Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we are hungry students. We're desiring to learn more about the truth of your word and how it applies to our lives and to understand this battle that we're in as believers. And Lord, to not just understand it conceptually, but to be able to be prepared to effectively and victoriously overcome the works of the evil one in our lives. Lord, take something that's been said today and build upon it in our life. Let us grow in you and follow you and serve you more faithfully than ever before. We thank you for it in Christ's name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.